Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have always tried to strike a somewhat reasonable balance between pragmatism and sort of living in fantasy land. I am very excitable. I'm kind of OCD and I get really, really, really fired up about making stuff, making stuff, making stuff. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist. A podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single Monday. And hosted by us. (laughs) 
Raise your hand if you've seen that video with four guys dancing on treadmills. My hand's up. Okay, Christina, how about the one where they're moving through zero gravity in perfect choreography? Yep, that one too. Or pulling off a giant Rube Goldberg machine in one take? Oh, that was my favorite. <laughs> if you haven't, go to YouTube immediately and search OK Go. Damien Kulash, the lead singer and guitarist for OK Go, joins us to talk about the inspiration and execution behind those incredibly creative music videos. Yep, and also why they aren't really music videos in the traditional sense. That's true. We dig into the importance of balancing creative risks with pragmatism and hear why Damien considers himself a committed generalist and discuss OK Go's new educational initiative in partnership with Playful Learning Lab called OK Go Sandbox. Yeah, it's super cool. OK Go Sandbox offers lesson plans and behind-the-scenes materials for the mathematics and physics of OK Go's iconic videos so that we can all learn just how you successfully make things like gravity work in your favor. There's so many mind-bending moments in this episode. We should just jump in, right? Let's do it. Hey, Christina. Hey, Kate. Hi, Damien. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you on the show, and we have so much to talk about. You have, in fact, more than one connection to our show. We just got back from doing a live show at Brown, which we hear is mm -hmm. your alma mater. It and is. interestingly enough, we've had a number of guests who are Brown alums through no strategy of our own. <laughs> <laughs> it's just clearly a place that uh, attracts very interesting individuals. And mm -hmm. you also attended Interlochen Arts Camp in high I school. Did. We also did a live show there, and, and the school itself is Christina's alma mater. It's true. We've had a number of guests that were Interlochen alums as well. Yeah. So, so it was destiny, yeah. is what we're saying. It was <laughs> destiny that you were on the show at this point. Good it's job. actually a surprise it's taken me this long. <laughs> it's so true. I'm so happy that, that we are here. And yeah, we love the kind of unexpected connectivity of our show and our show's guests. And uh, speaking of that, we've heard that Interlochen Arts Camp is actually where you met OK Go's bassist, Tim Nordwind. Is that true? It is. Yep, we were 11 years old. It was 1987. Oh my gosh. Um, and we we're about to turn 12. Well, I was. <laughs> um, and yeah, we uh, we met over ping pong, actually, and really? um, became fast friends that summer. Interlochen was an eight-week summer camp at the time. I think it's it's shortened to a few mm -hmm. sessions of three weeks now. But um, mm -hmm. So eight, eight weeks is a long time to be away from your family when you're 11 years old and mm -hmm. it was really exciting like I, I really enjoyed it I mean we both really enjoyed it and but it also it like you make really really close friends in those circumstances it's sort of it's like a little bit like the way you do in college when you first move away from your family and it's kind of like you build your whole own reality for the first time um mm -hmm. that was sort of my my childhood version of that and Tim was <laughs> my best friend there and we uh, we stayed we, he grew up in Kalamazoo Michigan I grew up in Washington DC but we stayed in touch for years. I mean, we went to summer camp together for several more summers and mm. then throughout high school kept in touch via phone and letter. And um, in college, there was this brand new thing called email and we kept in touch <laughs> that way. And uh, then after I graduated college at Brown University, as you as you mentioned, um, I moved to Chicago where he was already in a band with 
several other friends of mine who quickly disbanded and rebanded as the band OK Go. Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Is it true that OK Go's name comes from something your art teacher said to you once? Uh, it's true that it came from something that our art teacher's assistant said to us m- way more than once, uh, <laughs> which is that we had this we had this super badass art teacher um, whose name was Allison and who I I don't know how to find right now. I, she's out there somewhere. Um, but <laughs> she was like a big big influence on me um, as a as a young drawer drawer painter drawer and painter. <laughs> Um, it was probably a two or three hour class, you know, like long enough that you can really sit there and do a long still life or something. And so Mm -hmm. imagine that there is like a little still life in front of you made up of two vases. Do you say vase or vals? I'm just going to go with... It depends on the occasion. Let's go with flower pots. (laughs) There's two flower pots and like a metal jug and... I don't know, like a a margarine container, then (laughs) so you'd be drawing it for like 20 minutes and you've got like kind of a decent outline of the shapes and you're like sort of honing in on like this thing is going to take shape soon. And her assistant, who I think to me as an 11 year old boy, he was a an adult. But in in truth, I I suspect he was probably like 18. Um, (laughs) And he certainly had this very, very weird body odor that which was an odor I did not get to know until I was in my teen years. Um, (laughs) He reeked of this very aromatic smell and he would lean over you and say things like, "Um, Damien, man, you see the margarine container up there? You got to like touch the margarine container with your mind and then touch your paper with your hand and then like draw the difference, man. (laughs) And as an 11 year old, like I was I didn't yet understand what it was to be stoned and I I didn't know what was going on. And and um, and so you just you kind of be like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep drawing. And and you just like keep drawing, keep drawing. You'd hang there over your shoulder like, all right, man, so you see it? All right, okay, 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 go. And that that was like that that Uh. go would often come like up to three or four minutes after he had given you the original instruction. And um, (laughs) so we always thought it was really funny. And to like a a snotty little 11, 12-year-old kid, it it was exactly the sort of thing you parody and try to make fun of. Um, So we had it. In high school then, we were making little videos together, and we made up a fake band called The OK Goes. And when then many years later we decided decided to start a real band, it was pretty obvious what the name had to be. (laughs) That is – a pretty so, epic origin story. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so you just mentioned that you're making videos in high school. Obviously, you and Tim are keeping in touch. You're drawing, uh, <laughs> drawing, drawing, as we say. So what influenced your decision to then go to Brown, go to college in the first place? And what did you decide to study there? Like, did you know at the time that after college you were going to make this music career thing happen or was that like not on your radar at all? Uh, it was very much on my radar, but I, I um, have always tried to strike a somewhat reasonable balance between um, pragmatism and, and sort of living in fantasy land. Um, <laughs> I am very excitable and I am, I'm kind of OCD and I get really, really, really fired up about making stuff, making stuff, making stuff. 
Um, and I was like that as a kid. And before high school, I definitely took visual art more seriously than I took music. I was very much into painting and drawing and, <laughs> and sculpting. And in high school, I, I, um, I, had, I went to um, a snooty prep school where um, not many other kids were super into art, but they had incredibly good facilities. So I had my own access to like an oxyacetylene welding situation cool. and like uh, like I could do kiln firings of only my stuff so not let other people's things didn't blow up and blow mine up me it was like I had I was very blessed um, by my education and and I really loved visual art however in high school I got really into music as well um, and it was much more as a sort of center of a of my community life if that makes sense like I'll, I, mm. I I hung out with the punk rock kids in D.C., and punk rock was very big in D.C. at the time, and it was super accessible. There were the kind of father figure of the scene is Ian MacKay. He had started uh, Minor Threat and Fugazi, and, and mm-hmm. the record label that both of them were on, um, he ran out of his his group house living room, basically. And um, they put out some of the best records that I knew of at the time. You know, I was like really obsessed with the D.C. punk rock scene, and you could walk up to those people after their shows in local churches and local high school cafeterias <laughs> and stuff. And I got really into that scene, but it was it was kind of more as the center of like how I spent my time rather than I did. I certainly didn't think of myself as an accomplished musician. And I, w- I was I was never much of a instrumentalist. And then when I went to college, I started studying visual art. But I um I actually uh, this talk about snotty. I I I found that most of the visual art program felt like people my age, which is, you know, I guess at that age, 18, 19, 20 years old, discovering conceptual art for the first time, having been to Interlochen and spending my summers um, studying a lot of modern art, I, it seemed to me sort of crazy that somebody who was 18 and hadn't really ever learned to draw very well was now like fancied themselves a conceptual artist because they we're learning about, you know, flatness or found mm-hmm. objects. I sort of wanted the the art scene there. I was like, would you please just like the conceptual art that we all want to be making, you still have to like you still have to speak the language. Like you have to earn mm-hmm. it, you know? Um yeah. and I got kind of snotty and annoyed but, and I was exactly the opposite with music where I didn't I didn't have a lot of technical skills and so it was it was a, a world I could dive into much more naively and and get much more excited about so Mm. at the the electronic music studio at brown i um by my sophomore year i was the ta who got to use all of the extra hours that it wasn't scheduled and um (laughs) and so i would just spend all night like i basically lived at night and i would make records you know make recordings in this in the studio overnight and by the time i got out of college i was sort of more about the music than i was about the visual art that meant that like when I when it was time to go get a job, I really wanted to keep like I wanted to make this rock band, but I also knew how incredibly unlikely it was that that would succeed. And I love taking creative risks, but I am not stupid about how risky they are. So mm. uh, so I got a job at an ad agency doing Photoshop work because it was the late 90s and um, a lot of people still didn't. That wasn't like a tool that everybody understood inside and out, but it was mm-hmm. one that I knew well. And a job at a radio at, at NPR in Chicago where I was a radio engineer. And between the two, I was sort of like, well, I, I get to, I, will, I will get better at the technical skills I need for all this stuff. Um, and hope like hell that my, my band does all right. And our band did all right. That's one way to put it. Um, yes. <laughs> Before we keep talking with Damien, we want to give a shout out to one of our awesome sponsors. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger 
they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk music videos. Um, the first one that really went kind of viral was for your song A Million Ways in 2005, which features you guys dancing in the backyard. Uh what inspired that video? And were you surprised by its success? Um, very much so. We didn't even think of it as a video. It was, uh, it, it was a, a rehearsal of us doing this ridiculous thing to, um, for our upcoming live tour. So very early in our career, like we had recorded one demo of one song when we were asked to be on a local um, public access TV show in Chicago. And and we were so excited about this because it was like, we're going to be on TV. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, how do they even know we exist? And it turned out that um, that basically pretty much anyone could go on that show because they uh, they just needed a band every day. And um, and they didn't have any way of recording you. So we were we were obligated to lip sync and we were like, you know, being the sort of self important little indie rockers that we were, we were like, well, if we're going to do if we're going to lip sync, we're not going to like make fun of it. Like making fun of things is really uncool. Let's just swing for the fences. Like let, if we're going to do a, like a boy band routine, let's do a effing boy band. routine. You know? <laughs> and so we spent a week coming up with the best like absurd kind of backstreet boys choreography that we could in my um chicago apartment and and um and later incorporated that into our live show uh, basically like it, no one you know like four people saw the original dance because not very many people could see that show mm-hmm. but uh, but having learned this ridiculous dance we were on tour when we realized like we, we there's we were playing at the Reading Festival, actually, in England, which is, you know, it's like a huge, storied, uh, amazing thing. But there's also maybe 400 bands that play over the course of three days. And we were in the middle of the afternoon somewhere and we were like, you know, convinced we would have a good show. But also that no matter how well we played today, th- most people would go home them like saying that they had seen, you know, whatever the strokes or so, like whatever the headliner that was that day was what they were going to remember. And mm-hmm. how could we do anything that would sort of pop through that? And we were like, let's do that ridiculous dance. So we did that ridiculous dance and it got the standing ovation. People, well, I guess it was a it was a festival. People are already standing. It got, it, it, they it remained a, standing. A, 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 yeah, they continued to stand. <laughs> and, um, and but we felt it was like really fun. And it, it did. It sort of popped through the the malaise of people like shuffling their feet and smoking cigarettes and looking cool, mm-hmm. which is what was happening generally in 2002. And yeah. um and so when that album, we toured for another full year on that album and and finished every show with that dance. And when it came time to release our second album, we wanted this signature thing to still be part of what we, what we did. And, you know, as you can tell from my history and the videos and everything, like a little bit of a of a creative lustiness, like we like do we wanted to be the band that does, does all this crazy stuff. Like we didn't want to mm. be kind of the, mm. like the cool hipsters who were who were falling right in line. And, um, and so, so we wanted to like be able to, to do that on tour, but 
we didn't want to keep ending our show with a song from the from our first album. It felt like mm-hmm. wrong somehow. So yeah, um, my, we invited my sister, who was at the time a professional uh, ballroom dancer. Her name is is Trish C, and she's now a film director. But um, mm-hmm. at the time, she was a ballroom dancer. We had we we knew that we were at the edges of our of our choreographic capabilities with our first <laughs> dance. So we had her come out to. Um, I had moved to LA by that point, so we had her come out to my house in LA and and choreographed this new, much more ridiculous dance with us. And um, and then she went back home to Orlando, where she lives. And a, a week later at practice, um, we we set up that video camera and and took a little clip of ourselves uh, of ourselves doing the routine. The intended audience for that was one person. It was a video director by the name of Michelle Gondry, who is a who is mm-hmm. a huge hero of mine and of anybody yeah. who cares about music videos. And yeah. um, we had heard that he had this amazing idea for a giant choreographed spectacle and that he was going to waste it on some unheard of rapper named Kanye something. <laughs> and, um, it, at the time, Kanye was was brand new. And mm-hmm. um, and we were like, I get I get it. But like, you'd want to make this with a rap artist. But we're the dance band. Like, we need to show him <laughs> that we're the dance band. So let's oh do gosh. our dance routine and send it to him. So we made that tape, which was literally a tape back then, you know, it was mm-hmm. pre-digital um, uh, or at least pre-affordable digital. Um, and we and that little clip was made just to send to Michelle Gondry. And as it turns out, I don't think he ever got that that got the clip, but we thought it was really funny. Um, and we sent it to a few friends as like a as a, a Christmas card, sort of a digital Christmas card. Someone mm-hmm. uploaded it to a site called iFilm. We still don't know who, and it went viral there. Um, this was oh, the same year that YouTube started, but nobody had heard of YouTube yet, and we didn't upload it to YouTube. But after after we noticed that that thing had been downloaded a few hundred thousand times, then and only then were we like, you know, it's kind of like a music video, I guess. Like, <laughs> it, um. Uh, like if you think about it, I mean, there it is. Like we're it's the full song plays, and we're just like dancing. Um, <laughs> so having having had that sort of accidentally go viral, mm-hmm. we sort of it, it was a little bit of a challenge. Like you know, if you can if you can have a a, a weird hit video by accident, it, it can you do it, it on purpose? Exactly. It was like like wouldn't it be a shame that you if you like spent your entire life trying to find your way into a, a, like making things for a living and then the one thing that you make that anyone cares about is an accident? You know like totally. we sort of had to prove to ourselves that we could do this on purpose. So um wow. so that's when we made the treadmill video and um and that right. was significantly more viral. Right. Indeed. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about next, Damien, because the treadmill video is how I and I, I'm sure many people discovered you guys. And I remember being, of course, so taken with it when I first saw it. Still feel that way. What was the thought process there? How did you even get that idea to, you know, do choreography on treadmills? Well, um, the, what I did was I called my sister and and mm. I, it was like, Listen, Trish, we that that dance, I don't know if you know, but we put a clip of that dance on the internet and it's gone bananas. And um and keep in mind this is two thousand five or something. I think two thousand five, maybe it was even two thousand four. And and so um, you know, internet video existed, but certainly it it was like it was still the IT guy at your office who mm-hmm. was watching it. Like it wasn't it wasn't like streaming sites didn't weren't a thing you know right Um, right. and and so we sort of felt like look we've just you know in the last several months we've this thing we made has gotten into the hands of 
three or four hundred thousand people. That was about the same number of of people who had bought our album in the la- in, like in the last three years at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, it was like the we had this major label who's working their asses off to um, to promote us via radio and tour around the world and all this kind of stuff. And and then with this goofy thing, we accidentally reached essentially the same number of people. Mm-hmm. So. Um, they may not be the audience we expected to have, but we should at least like at the very least, let's like reach out to them. And let's make them something nice. Like, let's mm-hmm. just make them a present. And and so it um, along with the sort of like it, having done that by accident, can you do it on purpose? There was this sort of like, listen, while you've got these people, don't like like now that they've been kind enough to sort of spread you around, um, let's do something nice for them. So yeah. the treadmill video was was like. I called Trish and I was like, we have, we, we need to up our ante because we can't just dance again. Like there's no way that's going to be funny again. Um, <laughs> it, like, uh, even if the choreography is amazing, like we need, we need to take it to a new level. And so we sort of brainstormed all these different things. We could, we could dance on a merry-go- merry-go-round or up a set of stairs or an escalator. Um, and, and we finally settled on the treadmills and we didn't at that point, we didn't tell our label and we didn't tell our manager because nobody would have thought that was a good idea. Like it was, it, it, <laughs> frankly, it wasn't a good idea except that it was, it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, um, we budgeted like uh, Trisha's husband looked up how much it would cost to rent treadmills and surprise, surprise, nobody rents treadmills because like what, <laughs> what kind of market wants one for like a week, you know? Um, <laughs> But uh, but you we could buy them used and then sell them back to the same guy who who buys and sells used equipment. So he agreed to buy them back at eighty percent if we didn't break them. So oh we like kind of did the math and it was yeah. like for eight. You know we knew that with four people, it, we wanted we like you couldn't just keep moving the same direction the whole time. So we needed at least two treadmills per person. Yeah. So all, all we had going into that was um, we need eight treadmills of of similar spec, you know, like mm-hmm. get them as close to the same as we can. Um, and then we'll just play. And, and we, uh, arrived at my sister's house with, uh, two weeks, I guess a week and a half. And, it, and like the first day was just, we pushed the treadmills around. Like the, I, I remember trying to frame, like we knew where the, you know, let's put the camera on the tripod over there. Like, these things are huge. Like they're really hard mm-hmm. to look at. Like how are we gonna how are we gonna make them sort of disappear? And the first thing was just playing with them to get them to um, kind of cover each other so that they weren't taking up the whole frame. Um, and then the next several days, we're just like hurling ourselves at the at them um, to see what sort of moves we could come up with. I mean, it's really it's it's like it's the type of thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe other people could, but we certainly couldn't predict what was going to work and not you just kind of had to like mm. play around and see what happened mm-hmm. um and and you know the, the the entire crew of that of that video was the four members of the band and my sister and um you know it's it's like oh it, it was well before any of us um fancied ourselves filmmakers at all like you know my sister wasn't a director yet i certainly wasn't a director yet we were just like siblings and friends making stuff um mm-hmm. and it, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the best stuff. Like, you know, when, when before anybody knows what their job is, you can often do do a way better job, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, and but when we were done with it, the funny thing is when we were done with it, we we didn't release it to the world for almost a year. It was, I think, nine months later. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, we were on tour. Um, and despite everything I said about, like, giving something nice to those people, we also didn't want to suddenly be like, um, 
like we had just like jumped at the goofy chance and that mm. was the only thing we could do. And we had another video out that sort of rock and roll video that, um, uh, th and we thought that the label was going to support it. And we had this big tour and it just, we, we figured, look, when we stop, when this album cycle sort of naturally ends, mm -hmm. we'll make, we'll put out this, like this, this cute thing that we made for our tech nerd friends. So we waited yeah. basically till the, till the tour was pretty much over and, and and release that as sort of like a tied me over until yeah. till the next album type of thing. And you didn't want to counter program against yourself. That makes sense. That's that yeah, pragmatism. Well, and, yeah. Yeah. And it also felt like we still weren't even sure these things were really videos. Exactly. Like <laughs> it was it, like the first one had been had been a cool viral sensation. But like you really have to put yourself in the mind of 2000. I guess it's now five or six. Yeah. Like. YouTube ha hadn't busted out yet. There were no other people putting rock videos online. So like there was no chance that MTV was going to play that thing. Like it was yeah. so it wasn't mm. a it wasn't a music video in that sense. It was like we were the first people in this uh, like kind of email plus type of internet, you know? It's like <laughs> we had a big a big um uh, like email list of our fans mm -hmm. and we were going to deliver them another cool thing like that last one they liked. Um, mm. But you you wouldn't like you wouldn't plan your whole like promotional thing around that in 2005. Like you, you plan it around your radio shows and the support you're going to get from, you know, this festival or that, whatever. And mm -hmm. and so when we did put it out, um, VH1 actually did pick it up like pretty much immediately. And that was crazy. Like, <laughs> um, you know, within a day, it had a nearly a million views, which we, I mean, honestly, we thought that there was a misplaced, uh, like decimal point. Like, there's no way, and um, and before you know, like we had done, we had toured for 18 months, and we were done with that album cycle. We were getting ready to go back into the studio to write to like you know finish a new record, and like you just had to turn the ship around. It was like all of a sudden our record was brand new again. Um, it was at the top of the chart. Like it was it 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 went to the same chart position it had 18 months before. Um, wow. And and we, you know, suddenly they wanted us on the VMAs and it was like our, our big record label who had not been paying attention for a very long time. Suddenly we're paying attention again. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was lucky we were in our 20s because we could just be like, all right, we'll just keep like we toured for 31 months on that album without ever going home. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. 
This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. You have created all of these epic and really quite groundbreaking, we'll call them music videos. That's not really yeah, well, they, a good they description are now. of them. Um, I, yes, but they also feel like, I mean, the, the one take Rube Goldberg machine for this two shall pass, I guess you would call that a music video, but it's almost just like this f- amazing short film with a really complex, you know, mathematical and physics underpinning. It's, I think music video does not quite uh, uh, capture what that is, but (laughs) that video in particular was the first one. I saw the treadmills. I saw the dancing. That one I probably watched 
40 times <laughs> because yeah. I, I couldn't fathom the amount of uh, work and rehearsal and preparation and calculation and that learning to the execution of such um, a creative and precise and uh, just kind of groundbreaking idea. And then you, you did it again. How do you keep coming up with these ideas that are wholly orthogonal to the one before it? <laughs> And how do you execute on these? Um, I, I it's don't think it's just ever amazing. Been, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard the word orthogonal in an interview before. I'm so <laughs> excited by it. Right. Um, uh, well, um, uh, the most honest answer is uh, like I have no idea. Nobody knows where ideas really come from, um, <laughs> but. I do know that um, I learned filmmaking from from making music and 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 by accident. You know, mm -hmm. um, when you think about setting up a camera um, and on the side of the room and 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 trying to figure out how to like um, choreograph something to happen in front of it, and I use choreograph not in, in the dance sense exactly, because, you know, my sister is the genius dancer. I'm, I'm like, I've never, you know, what's so charming about us dancing is how bad we are at it, you know? Um, <laughs> but the, the, but thinking of the, of the um, visual frame at, you know, more like a canvas, like, there, I can't change, like, I'm not gonna change from painting to painting all the time, I just have to work in this space. Mm -hmm. um, it makes, you know, I guess I used the instincts um, that I had developed uh, playing music and doing more static visual art. So um, it, the only way I knew, like l taking music as, a, as the sort of clearest in here, you would never um, you would never sit down with your best friend Tim from art camp and go, hey, Tim. Since you're the bassist, why don't you play a G and I'll play a G major chord and then you stay on the G but I'll move to the C chord so that we'll have this kind of tension. But then you come up to the C right right before I move off to uh, a D chord. You know, like th mm -hmm. there's you would you might go through all of that after you have just tried playing something together. You know, like mm -hmm. after you're playing around, you're like, oh, this sounds good. This sounds good. Oh, I like this. I like that. Um, oh, it was best when you did x y and z right but nobody would ever be like and then drummer like let's let's sit down and write out where you're going to play all the snares before we've ever heard the song you know um mm -hmm. you just like you learn by by um sticking things together and hoping like the the the, the metaphor that 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 always sticks with me is sort of um, alchemy. It's like you've got this most of the time you add a beat to a chord progression and what you get out the other side is a beat with a chord progression over it. You know, like it's almost always one plus one equals mm -hmm. two and then every once in a while it's one plus one equals lust and fury and a little bit of nostalgia and the desire to jump <laughs> on your bed and like, like, you know, you, you like, you, it busts into this like total emotional ball that has, that, that has no like, I don't see where the roots of that thing came from at all. I just know that that like that for some reason this chord progression makes me like crazy. Like it make it, it scratches that itch deep inside my brain and it makes me feel like I'm I'm young, 
and but 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 like I'm an but I'm young in a different era or you know like it's like it it takes it's so crazy what music can do to you and mm-hmm. I I think like so so looking for visual ideas that have that that kind of um gut punch that 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 speak to you in a visceral way mm-hmm. um it, it, like it, it means not going about the process by um the way filmmakers normally do because the, mm. the the filmmaking is very expensive so what you normally do is you think about what you want to make and very 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 carefully plan it out and um that's a great way of of making sure that you don't waste money when you've got all the expensive crew and the expensive rented camera and the expensive location and all that kind of stuff like mm-hmm. you need to be efficient but it also means that when you get there on the day and you realize that like the um, that the sun shining off the side of that building is almost like its own it's like its whole own character in the scene. It's probably too late for you to write a whole new line of dialogue for that character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so what um, so what we do is we try to figure out these situations where it's like we know there's a basic we know like we know there's a good idea in there somewhere like like dancing on treadmills like presumably there is a good dance you can do we have no idea what it is but if we just get in a room together for 10 days hopefully it'll come out um and at that point the 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 stakes were pretty low like if we didn't if there was if nothing good came of that nobody wouldn't even know we ever made something like the we paid for it ourselves um, the label wasn't expecting anything. Our management wasn't expecting anything. Um, in these days, when we make a video, there's a, a big hired film crew in advance, and we've been pitching this idea to sponsors for years, and we've been working on it forever, and there are much higher stakes. But mm-hmm. we've also learned to build in um, that play period. So we, mm. we know that like um, like like the Zero Gravity video, I, when I heard that there that there are planes that you can get in that let you simulate weightlessness, so that you yourself are like magical and can fly, mm-hmm. I that's like the first place I go is like, oh my god, can you think of what cool art you could make if you had access to that thing? Yeah. And for ten years, literally ten years. I mean, I heard about that in two thousand six or two thousand seven, and I every single time a brand came to us and we're like, we want to do an ad, I'd be like. Oh, Pepsi? I mean, I'd love to do an ad with you. Listen, Pepsi, the only, like, obviously you're a liquid and liquids have to be seen in zero gravity. You know? <laughs> and, um, I pitched it to everyone and, and wow. um, it, you know, but n- n- nobody, like, it's a, it's extremely expensive and it wasn't mm-hmm. in anyone's marketing plan. Um, and then... <laughs> And then luckily a an airline uh, uh, came to us and said, what would you do if we gave you a plane? And I was like, have I got the idea for you? <laughs> um, but, but we still didn't know. So like the budget for that, instead of us going, yeah, and then I move here and he moves there and he does this flip there and we sit back down here. It was just, it, it was spend, like a third of the budget was we spent a week going up every day, just bouncing off the walls, doing any like no whole like it was just set up a bajillion GoPros and see if you catch anything amazing. Mm-hmm. Then we, you know, were grounded for about a month while we went through all that footage and picked out all of the best bits. You're like, mm-hmm. ooh, look at this one thing, and 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 then tried to figure out which ones we thought were um were were repeatable because like you can kind of tell when something was like a crazy accident and when somebody meant to do that Mm -hmm. so then we choreograph something in in concept like we'll try to do this thing here we'll try to do that thing there and went back spent a full week then trying to execute that thing and seeing if it if it uh, you know where it needed to be changed to Mm -hmm. actually be doable and then finally 
spending a week shooting it. So there, but like the real bravery here is actually on the brand's part because mm. what they going into that, they were like, what are you going to make? And I was like, I don't know. And that's the best part, you know? Like, <laughs> I think that's such a really creative way to um, kind of create the space you needed for serendipity and for play, but also to ensure that, you know, as you said, what you had was repeatable um, and something that when it came time to to invest the expensive equipment and the crew, um, you knew what you were doing ish. Yeah, ish. I mean, the I is certainly this lines up with the idea of testing. The only problem with it is that we didn't know, like you, you sort of have to have a hypothesis to test, you know, <laughs> right, like you have to be right. like to the extent that it was testing hypothesis the hypothesis was something awesome can be made like we brought up with us on that first testing week we mm -hmm. brought um we brought everything we could think we brought we brought baked beans and we brought spray cheese <laughs> and we brought we were trying like you know doesn't does a cracked egg look different floating through the air than um than liquid like oh i'm sorry that is liquid. that then like um soda does you know like do, mm. is it does carbonated stuff fly through the air differently than um non-carbonated stuff like will cheerios flying through the room look different than skittles i know that everything i've said by the way is food um <laughs> but uh so like oh, does shampoo do a different thing up there than uh, than toothpaste does you know like mm -hmm. and um as it turned out it was a little depressing that basically everything in zero gravity looks the same like you kind of you kind of lose um control and and everything moves, everything looks like it's in slow motion because if you think about it, most of what slow motion is, is stopped. Like the way we gauge that th something is now slow is that gravity is stopped working on it. Right. Um, so, so it like we really, we did not go up knowing that. We like came down knowing it's going to be really hard to move in sharp ways. It's going to be really hard to convince people that it's not just like trickery and slow motion. Mm -hmm. And all of the props we wanted to use kind of do the same thing so mm -hmm. so we need to we need to like get the art the emotional arc out of this and the and layers of surprise um from somewhere other than can you believe how different a sponge is from a shoe something that makes me crazy is when people say well i had this career before but it was a waste and that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now this is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist with Christina Wallace and Kate Scott Campbell. When you are working in zero gravity or, you know, in slow-mo for the one moment or recently with 567 synchronized printers for obsession, like how much research and learning and or calling in outside experts do you have to do to even be able to hypothesize and know what is possible within that world? Um, a lot. A lot of that. I'm developing a new um, theory for myself about about um, generalists. And I, I it's not developed hmm. enough for me to um, to say anything really smart about it. But, you know, we we live in this time when um, the state of the art for any given thing is so, so incredibly um, mind blowingly complicated that that you could you could spend a life 
getting to the edge of what's knowable in any direction, you know, mm. um, to be a physicist, to be a mathematician, to be a musician, to be uh, a um, a zoologist, to be a, a, an actuary. You know what I mean? Like the, it's it's such incredibly complicated stuff. Imagine what like what it takes to be the quants at a in a in a, a hedge fund. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the when I I sit there and think, God, my computer could do so much better of a job at a, even just like picking. A, a a basic mutual fund than I could, and then I realized, oh wait, no, there's people who spent their entire lives head to head with each other trying to come up with better algorithms for picking better algorithms for picking better algorithms for picking better hedge funds. You know what I mean? Like it's like mm-hmm. it's um, there's really nowhere you can go where there isn't somebody who's spent their whole life being amazing at this. And that's not to say that people shouldn't still do that. I, that's like that's how we push the edges farther. But um, it, it does it does mean that I think people have kind of um, you don't p- people don't pay a lot of lip service to um, the jack of all trades, uh, master of none, uh, you know, the, the or, or the sort of generalist at this point, because, mm-hmm. you know, da Vinci could be at the edge of 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 all sorts of he could be the world's greatest artist and mathematician and, and scientist at the same time, or at least at least, you know, speak conversantly with them. Um I think you know very few people would could could do anything like that today, mm-hmm. but there is still a big uh, for, like what we do. I think is it largely at least on the filmmaking side, largely is um, develop a good sense of what is and is not possible. Like you were mm-hmm. just asking, Project X is has been done so many times that it's basically boring. Mm. Project Z is fully impossible, and Project Y is right near the edge of possible and and maybe doable and then being able to to cut to slice up project y and figure out i should use a different letter to figure out why why Um, (laughs) like i you know we um we work with a lot of technologists uh on on in various ways when we're making these films so like uh with with the one moment video, the um, the the idea was we're going to shoot a sequence of events as fast as we possibly can. It turned out to be just over four seconds, um, and then slow that film down to reveal that everything that had happened in normal time um, actually lines up with the beat at some vastly slower speed. So you got this mm-hmm. sort of choreographed dance of of beautiful slow motion physics things, and um, so. Th- Basically, the like the planning for that, the sort of play phase for that, um, was was me in a spreadsheet. You know, it was like, okay, I want things to land, like to land on these sixteen beats. You know, like it goes down, 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 like, and these are all the places I want it to land, and I can I can map out where those are in time. Now let's um, work back from there to figure out. Like I've you know I've seen a water balloon burst uh, on the slow mo guys channel. It's super super beautiful. So let's Let's imagine if we wanted one of these to happen on each of these beats. Well, what what frame rate are they shooting at? Um, mm-hmm. And it, given that frame rate, how how quickly in succession do these things actually need to happen? And some of the some of the events that we planned for that um, were uh, in the in the realm of milliseconds. I think the closest ones together were about three or four milliseconds. But huh. this meant that to um, to trigger them accurately, we needed a 
a, a triggering system that could work on the millisecond level. So I, mm -hmm. he, here's where I'm getting back to your question, which is that that like I know a computer thinks on you know microseconds. We can definitely mm -hmm. trigger something at millisecond levels. What I didn't know is that um, that much higher voltage relays. It's very hard to find. Um, like they don't work on the millisecond level. They might work on 10 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds, but rarely is anyone filming things where they need to have that level of accuracy. So mm -hmm. finding a, a control board that could actually, that could give signals to um, what turned out to be small explosives, basically, like we had a little, a little, uh, um, a little match light, and that would melt the string that was holding each of these objects so that each of them mm. would fall in time. Um, to make sure that those were each three milliseconds apart and not four milliseconds apart um, was was difficult, not impossible, mm -hmm. right? And like I, mm -hmm. I, I was, I could guess that that was, I didn't know how we'd do it. I didn't know how, who could figure it out. But if, if, if the crew came back to me saying that is absolutely impossible, I would have been shocked. Um, but I also knew it wasn't boring and easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, my job is not to know all that stuff. It's just to know where the edge of that stuff is and what is a reasonable ask around that point. Like, I can't be like, great. Now that we've got millisecond, let's get down to microsecond. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that framing. I, I love that so much. And this really brings us into this conversation about learning that now you are really on both sides of. Sidebar, I love this video on YouTube in which you are sharing your very detailed spreadsheet uh, about <laughs> that slow motion in the one moment video. And I also found you talking about it with an OK Go Sandbox, which is your latest endeavor. And you guys just launched it this month. And so what's so interesting is, is that it sounds like you heard from increasing numbers of teachers who were using your videos in educational ways. And uh, on the OK Go Sandbox website, you wrote, we want to give teachers whatever tools they need to connect the joy, wonder, and fun in our videos to the underlying concepts that their students are learning. So... Damien, please tell us more about OK Go Sandbox and, and uh, you know, the inspiration for creating this kind of educational resource. Well, the inspiration really came from the teachers. Like, we've been getting letters from teachers for a long time, but they've been, we've been getting more and more recently. And um, it's just like it – there's this whole different level of um, – of kind of satisfaction when you've made something and it and it actually um, comes back having done something good in the world because, like, I love the things we make, but but it's pretty selfish, you know. We like we <laughs> I, we chase around these crazy ideas it, because it's like we're sort of like tourists in the lands of ideas. We're like always like, can we do that crazy thing, you know? And <laughs> um, there's nothing about me flying around in, in a zero gravity airplane that it, like really is good for anyone but me, you know. And <laughs> um, and and so to have teachers go listen like the thing you made um not only do we like it but it's but it's actually making our job easier because you know we, it inspires our students like they like watching it but it also gets us into a discussion of what a parabola is or why like why are they weightless up there like what's what does that actually mean are, are it does has gravity stopped working uh, or or does or are they just moving with respect to gravity so like suddenly you have these sort of like um much more fun ways into a concept. And we like, you know, the last thing we 
ever set out to do was like, yeah, let's teach, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's really there. It's really inspiring because it, it, um, it's, it's sort of like these projects are paying us back in a way. Like I, they, you know, the, the last time we see these things is you like, you know, you finish it and you put it online and then off it goes into the world and it, it does whatever it's going to do, but like, you're kind of done with it. And, um, it's amazing to have it sort of come back this way going like, Hey, by the way, I've been out for a while and I did all this good stuff, you know? Um, yeah. so knowing that teachers were using the, these already, we, we were, we just, it seemed like we should try to make that easier, or at least we should try mm. um, we should try to support them in whatever ways that that it's possible. And like the most obvious way, honestly, was just to go through our existing behind the scenes footage and bleep out all of the bad words. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like I I talk about them all the time. In fact, this very podcast, I told this story. I've told a million times about our about uh, OK Go's name um, and how we had the stoned art uh, art teacher. I yeah. probably shouldn't have talked about the stoned art teacher because probably <laughs> there are teachers who now can't use this because they can't talk about stoned people in their classrooms, right? <laughs> so I'm not like, I'm not at all in the habit, as you can tell, of, of censoring myself in that way. And um, so a really easy thing to do is take all, the, all that footage, just bleep out me saying the bad words, and suddenly it makes it a lot safer for a teacher to play in the classroom. But mm. you can go a step further, obviously, and and and, um, and make some behind the scenes material that that actually connects it to the underlying things that they're already trying to teach. Mm -hmm. And it we can't like this can't become a full time job for us. Obviously, like there are people who spend their whole lives trying to, uh, you know, crack the code of of better education and better communication and better inspiration. And we're certainly not like going to hop into that debate and have anything super meaningful to say. But mm -hmm. but knowing that people are already using this stuff, it's more just like how can we service you guys? So we so we put out a survey, to um, we we partnered with the Playful Learning Lab, which is this amazing group in at St. Thomas University in St. Paul, and um, Anne Marie Thomas, who is the head of the lab, um, put put together a survey so we could ask teachers like who of people already using OK Go videos in their classrooms, how do you use them? Why do you use them? What do you think we could change? All that kind of stuff, and we got very, um, very direct answers that were all. They all basically lined up with three things. It was like we want um, more specific teaching materials, like you know, lesson plans, and and you know, what what can I find in video X? Um, mm -hmm. They want classroom challenges, like having you know, like what's the version of this that you can do in a classroom, or what what should people try to do having watched this, and then just some kind of access to the band, um, and you know, that's, that's tough to do on, in any kind of scalable way. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is like, is, is start making things that respond to the first two questions and hope that, um, it starts a, a sort of a little online community where we can be present, um, in, in a somewhat more scalable way. I don't, we don't know really what that will be. Maybe we'll do like, you know, one classroom visit every semester and, and, um, sort of like simulcast it to the other classrooms who are using this material. Um, but really, like the best part is, so we start. We just launched it at the National Science Teachers Association in in, in um, Atlanta last week or the week before, and the website um, was very generously funded by Morton Salt and Google. And um, awesome. That it, yeah, it's really really awesome. I mean, it's amazing to see them put their money where their mouth is in terms of education stuff. And yeah, that it that was enough for us to be able to do 
a, a nice new website with a series of videos for um, that sort of su- uh, videos and classroom materials that support each of three of our existing rock videos. And we plan to keep going through the existing videos. And and with all that material out there now, we can see we we can see what teachers use, how they how they use it, and what we can do better for them in the future. Because like we're, we're we don't want to like dive headlong into the world of um, sort of like education policy. We just want to like what we want to know is like who's using it, how can we help you, and like given that this isn't a full time job, and we're just gonna like once every few months we're gonna spend a week filming some new things. Um, t- you tell us what you want us filming because we've mm-hmm. already got stuff that you're using in your classroom. Like if you need some connective tissue, just tell us what it is and we'll make it. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing this out there. Okay, go summer camp. Math and science and music and film. Just throw it all together. Interlocking can host. I just, it Sign could be very fun. Up. <laughs> okay, consider it done. <laughs> Are you going to run it? Uh, 100%. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> okay, I, I that's that is like a binding contract. What you just did. Okay, <laughs> I mean the whole uh, world will know uh, by the time this comes out. So yeah. agreed. Awesome. Podcast handshake. Uh, so, what do you call yourself professionally these days? Is musician still your main identity, or is video creator, filmmaker, director, educator, all of the above, some intersection thereof? Like, how do you think about? who you are and, and you know, what, it, what it you're sort of doing. It de- depends how, how much longer I want the conversation to go. Um, <laughs> like, like if you're on, if you're on a flight um, and the person next to you is like, what do you do? And, and, and you're on your way to LA and you're like, I'm a singer. They're probably going to be like, well, good for you, buddy. And, and <laughs> that's in that conversation. Um, so true. And, and, um, I, I, you know, I don't know, like it, it, um, it feels it feels uh, extra pretentious to be like, but I also do this, but I also mm-hmm. so I like mm-hmm. I don't know I I don't I I try not to have a title for it. Um, a lot of times at conferences you have to for like your badge, and so then mm-hmm. then usually I say like musician and director or something like that. But um, I I guess it's sort of it, there's a little bit of a like um I I I kind of rather let the like if I have to tell somebody like I I do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like, I don't want to, have to convince somebody by saying like, I'd rather have them. Sure. It's sort of a, a show don't tell type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so I, 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 I try not to have to tell people what I do and, and hopefully, um, they stumble across it at some point and then they like it. You know, it seemed like visual artist was your, was more of the identity that you owned in high school yeah. and music was something you did for community. And then it feels like that shifted in college where music was who you were um, do you still feel like music is who you are as the primary thing or do you really feel like these videos and this filmmaking and this directing that this has become as much of your identity as the singing and writing is? Yeah, like forgetting about the, you know, the guy on the plane or having to say it to somebody, you know. What do you say to yourself? Yeah. Um, do you... Uh, I, it- Okay, um, you you have just opened like the the final door to the most pretentious part of me. So I, I, <laughs> yes, um, like and, which you thought probably wasn't possible given everything else I said, but there is yet a deeper level, and here we go. Um, I I genuinely like am am enthused um, and sort of uh, bemused by the by the state of the world that we are in now, where mm. I think that. Um, we all we're all working in in the same medium now and 
uh, and almost nobody is willing to um, really recognize that. And it's got there's really good sides to it and really bad sides to it. So I will I will start in mm. where like it, in 1995. Um, a musician made a silver plastic disc like that was the that was the product, which is wildly different than the black plastic disc from 1960, which was even more different than the piece of paper from from 1920. Um, mm-hmm. And all of which was a, a lot different from from like the, the straight up performance that like a traveling bard might do or something. But like music went from being an ephemeral experience to being something that could be traded in in some sort of codified form to being literally like a controllable product which was that piece of plastic like mm-hmm. yes it yes it allowed people to have that experience at home or wherever they're listening to their records but um but the actual product was that thing right it was like mm-hmm. and so that was the distribution model and the distribution model for newspaper was totally different and the distribution model for film was totally different and the distribution model for uh, um you know it, it, every Everything was Mm -hmm. like everything had its own um, bucket. And so what a musician did like was uh, was play guitar or or play drums or or, or, you know, they they made sounds because sounds are what go onto that plastic disc. And Mm -hmm. what filmmakers did was they like framed things up within a certain type of rectangle because that's what goes on that piece of acetate. Mm -hmm. And now. I'm sitting here talking through a computer that makes ones and zeros to you that's listening to my ones and zeros. And you're making a product called a a podcast, which is ones and zeros that represent audio, which is exactly what I make with my guitar. Right. But mm. but what's the like the biggest music streaming site on the planet is YouTube, which is which is a video streaming site, because mm-hmm. guess what? There's no difference. You know, like mm-hmm. all of we're all making ones and zeros, especially as a sort of committed generalist. Like I I chase around these ideas. And as long as it can sort of turn into ones and zeros somewhere, it doesn't matter if I'm making sounds or I'm making pictures or I'm making or, or I'm making educational content, you know, like mm-hmm. um, it's and it's which is not to say I don't totally understand that that like the experience of sitting there with your eyes closed and getting lost in in you know the the in in purple rain is utterly and completely different than listening to your podcast will be even though they're this exact same format you know right Um, right it's it's but but our the boundaries between these things are now totally conceptual and arbitrary and Mm -hmm. um and in fact you know when you started this by saying um like they're not really music videos anymore it what's what the things that okay go make it's what's what's hilarious is that it we have to call them music videos or or they or they couldn't survive you can't Mm -hmm. just start a group and be like hey guess what we're the we make ridiculous films (laughs) right Um, Right. Although uh, that's starting to change because now of course that's what youtube stars are right but like that's exactly what they are but that wasn't a thing five years ago or ten years ago and Mm so um i so like I I can't it, it would be a lie if if when people ask me what I did I said I'm a YouTube star because we're like we're sort of the exact opposite model those are usually people <laughs> who make something every day and don't care about production values and we're right. we're completely inverted but um but in terms of whether I think of myself as a musician or a filmmaker or um an artist or 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 uh, you know an educator or something I I I try not to um I I try to recognize those things when they're useful to the the project, like I'm, I'm working mm. on, uh, my my wife and I are working on a um, on a, a narrative film together right now, and that'll be you know an an hour and a half, two hour 
narrative film. And there's like a very specific structure and a very specific distribution model for that. And um, and so in that capacity, I know exactly what I am. I'm a filmmaker, you know, mm. um, but mm. I but but most of the time, like when, when it's OK, go. Luckily, we usually don't have to we usually don't have to know like and it's better when we don't because like the treadmill thing, if if we had if we had gone to make a music video, we wouldn't have made what we made. Right. Totally. It also makes mm-hmm. me think about what you said earlier of, you know, often you can do a way better job before you know what your job is before <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. And, limit and, that. and there's also I mean, I. I'm, I recognize this weird thing when, it, you know, everybody's so upset with Facebook right now. Um, and it, it feels like Facebook never had a model, right? Like they were just like, they, they made this thing and it was just like, people used it. So what do you do about that? Right. I have never been a Facebook user um, just because, I don't know, like social media feels like it takes a lot of work that I just don't feel like doing. But <laughs> we have a similar relationship to YouTube where we were like, in a weird way, we were like the first YouTube stars and we're exactly not right for the platform in the sense that like, Everybody who looked at it and the things that organically emerged from it and relied on it or, or, or sort of made use of its individually salient facets, they were people who made something every day. They were people who, who like who made use of this sort of homemadeness of it, whereas like it's funny to be out on this limb where it's like the reason that we're the only band who makes stuff like this is because it's not like a sustainable business model. We're just really lucky. You know, like you couldn't um, you couldn't be like, let's find other bands who want to spend six months making a video, you know? Right. Well, I have to say that it entirely has paid off for I feel like everybody, you know, I can never get tired of watching one of your videos. I I find something new. There are so many questions I have about them that I'm actually fine with the answers remaining mysterious because that's part of the joy (laughs) of watching them. Um, I think on that note, we are ready for the lightning round. Damien, the way this works is we're just going to ask you a handful of questions. And unlike the questions we've just asked you, your task here is to just answer with a quick first answer that pops into your brain. And Mm -hmm. in turn, we will not ask any follow-up questions, which is always very hard for us. These are not meant to be too deep or too serious. Yes. That's the fun of it. Correct. <laughs> Are you down? <laughs> it's going to be hard for that. You saw where I go when the pretentious <laughs> monster is on me. So it's going to be hard. Uh, it's going to be hard for all of us, but we are all in this together. So I have so much mm-hmm. confidence. Question one What are you reading right now? Uh, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Number two What is the last thing that made you go, holy bleep? Um, the colors in the movie Casino. Ooh. Okay. Okay, what's something else that's in your as we call on the show personal human Venn diagram? And that's our name for just a collection of interests. We've talked about a bunch of yours today. But what's something else you're currently curious about or interested in that people who know you professionally might not necessarily know you're into? Gardening. Ooh. Nice. It is that time of uh, time of year. Um, I live okay. in Los Angeles, so it's always yeah, that time of year. Exactly. Oh, rubbing it in, yeah. the two of you, always rubbing it in. <laughs> yes, Question yes. four. Okay. okay. Chicago's where the band started, so we have to ask, what's your go-to Chicago pizza? Ooh. Um, uh, what's it, Giordano's? Is that what it's called? Giamatti's yes. Giordano's, the one with the G. Giordano's, yes. 
Awesome. Okay. The correct answer is that's not pizza. That's a casserole. The only pizza is in New York. Whoa, oh, Christina. I, I, <laughs> I know. I have a very strong opinion about this. I'm Jeez. sorry. I do. I will say I kind of agree with you. I, it's Thank a delicious. You. It's a delicious thing, though. And mm-hmm. in the same, right down that same pretentious thing hole that we were just in. Like, I don't. It doesn't have to be called pizza, but it is amazing. Okay. Fair. Fair. <laughs> awesome. Damien, you're killing this. Last question. Give a shout out uh, for a woman who's doing awesome things in in one of your areas. So in education or music or video creation, uh, just someone that, you know, you just want to give like a vocal hug to who you think is doing awesome stuff. I'm Trish C., my sister. She's doing great stuff. Awesome. And- and Kristen Gore, my wife, who is a, who who writes films, and I mean they're both at really super at the top of their game, so it's really easy to hug them both. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Damien, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yes. It has been so this much fun. So much fun. This yeah. has been a lot of fun. This has really been great. Awesome. <laughs> thank well, you so much. Yeah. Bye bye. Take care. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true she pivots fashion. We're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.